I came from a low-income family that was, that was struggling. You see how hard life can get. GC became a part of my life because I don't want my family to fall back into that. I never thought education would take me this far. I'm still young. I still have a lot to do in my life and just want to get things done the way I want with a good education under me. I'm Stacy, and Grand Canyon University helped me find my purpose. Can I just start with a really basic question? Like, what, what do you call El Chapo? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a great question, actually. Leon Krause is a Mexican journalist. He writes for Slate, reports for Univision. I try not to call him El Chapo. I, I will during our conversation, but I try not to do it because for me, he does not deserve a nickname. El Chapo's real name is Joaquin Guzman. That man does not deserve a nickname. What he deserves is to go to uh, the Supermax facility in Florence, Colorado, and stare at a wall for 23 hours a, a day. For years, Guzman led Mexico's Sinaloa drug cartel. This week, a jury in Brooklyn began considering the evidence against him after two months of testimony from dozens of witnesses. Is there any chance that you think he's found not guilty? No, not at all. Not at all. I think he will be found uh, completely guilty. I mean, the defense rested after 30 minutes, which, is, which tells you everything you need to know about, uh, about Guzman and how guilty he is. Guzman's mistress testified. Hitmen have taken the stand. Even the IT guy was a witness for the prosecution. It's as if the most secretive, shadowy figure of our recent history all of a sudden has been thrown under the brightest of spotlights for all of us to see. I mean, we've learned what he sounded like when he was making a deal, how he dealt with opponents, how rage could easily overcome him, who he was as a lover, as a philander, and of course how brutal and unforgiving he could be. And in other words, we finally, finally met the real Joaquin Guzman. But as a Mexican citizen... It has been really painful to watch and follow the trial. As Guzman's trial went on, week after week, it was easy to get distracted by the juicy details of his story. How he escaped a maximum security prison through a tunnel that was dug to his cell's shower drain. How he carried a diamond-encrusted pistol customized with his initials. The other side of the story for Mexicans that I think Americans have missed has, has been the, the long list of revelations of just how corrupt every level of government became when dealing with figures like, like, like this man, right? I mean, that, uh, that has been for us, I don't know if I would say an awakening, because this has been part of the Mexican story, especially recently, corruption and the outreach around corruption, but just to, to listen to testimony day in and day out, harrowing. It has been harrowing. When Leon heard the details coming out of Guzman's trial, he began thinking about this as a case not just about one man, but about a whole system, including the governments that kept Guzman flush with cash and stocked with weapons for two decades. So Leon is going to give me a different perspective on this infamous drug lord, the view from the other side of the border. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by SAP. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI will not help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos, but it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia, or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks, 
or automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real world results. That's SAP Business AI. I asked Leon to tell me a story, one that would help me understand just how powerful Joaquin Guzman became and how dangerous. He told me the thing I had to get about Guzman was that he didn't just deal drugs. He helped dismantle Mexico's democratic institutions. I remember interviewing a mayor uh, in Mexico a few years ago who told me how he was approached by people from the Sinaloa cartel and how they barged into his office and basically demanded that uh, he cooperated with them. Either that or he would be dead. His family would be kidnapped and they would all be murdered. So it was either a plata, silver, money, or plomo, lead. And the way he describes these people who worked for Joaquin Guzman, the smugness, the attitude, the violence, the vulgarity in their language, the way this man's voice trembled over the phone, the way he declined, obviously, to give, give me his name, that sort of thing has stayed with me. In Leon's depiction, Guzman's cartel was everywhere, but the man himself was hard to find, a real-life boogeyman. One, one of his talents, uh, Guzman's talents, has, has always been his capacity to lay low, you know, fly under the radar. There were stories of him popping up at a restaurant in Sinaloa and uh, his lieutenants locking the doors and asking everyone to give their cell phones away for a, for a few hours and, and he, he would pay the bill while he ate, blah, blah, blah. But these are urban legends. I mean, he was really a ghost. Escobar, on the other hand, he was everywhere. He loved the sound of his own voice. Uh, Chapo was different. So he never had any sort of ambition other than making tons of money through dealing drugs, period. So his undoing, his undoing probably came when he decided, you know, that for whatever reason, he really wanted to tell his story. He wanted a movie about El Chapo. And that ambition led him to expose himself and most likely con- concluded with, with his capture, his extradition and his trial. He betrayed his own discipline. And that led to his downfall. Guzman was captured three years ago after a bizarre meeting with the actor Sean Penn. He was extradited to the U.S. so he could stand trial in federal court. And that trial is wrapping up just this week. Well, so for people who might not not might have missed it, we should explain that part of this trial, what came out, and it came out in a very funny way. One of the witnesses said El Chapo had paid $100 million to Peña Nieto, a president, while he was sitting. He's no longer president. And so mm-hmm. when you heard that, I mean, what did you think? Because I feel like, first of all, there's there's the whole problem of trust the source, right? You don't, yes. You're hearing from someone who is involved in this trial. But when you heard yeah. this allegation, what was your first thought? My first thought was, whoa! That was my first thought. Then I immediately said, I think I said it on Twitter, even, even though it wasn't popular, because, you know, there's nothing, there's not, there's nothing more popular than to uh, lynch a, a supposedly corrupt politician. And Peña Nieto is certainly not well-liked. Deservedly so. But I immediately said, like others in Mexico, all right, now let's see the evidence, because a statement is just a statement. And honestly, I was hoping that Guzman would testify. I mean, I understand that uh, his lawyers probably explained the, the, the legal risks he would be running by testifying. 
But I would imagine that he he must have known that he was going to prison. I mean, there was nothing that he could say that someone would, would conclude, oh man, this poor guy is absolutely innocent. Let's spare him. Let's not send him to a supermax. Let's, let's give him 10 years, five years, and then he's free. So I was honestly hoping, hoping that he would show up and the defense would show up with receipts showing how, how corrupt the system really was and take down that system with him. He, he would have been, I would have recognized his bravery if he had done that. That former Mexican president accused of taking Guzman's money, Enrique Peña Nieto, he's denied the bribery charges. But when Leon interviewed Peña Nieto a few years ago, the president said corruption was baked into Mexico's DNA. I mean, I guess for you as a Mexican and someone who's closely followed the political debate there, I mean, your first reaction to this allegation of bribery was literally, whoa. Yes. And then it doesn't come up at the presidential news conference, you know, the next day. It just must have, I can't imagine <laughs> how you must have sort of processed well, that. Well, you know, Lopez Obrador is a peculiar man. So he has said that, that he will ask the people whether or not former presidents should be, should be prosecuted. I say that, and you, uh, there's quiet on the other end, other end of the line. There's silence because that's incredible, right? <laughs> I mean, if you have evidence that whomever is uh, responsible for corruption, especially at that level, right, and of that magnitude, you prosecute them. You don't ask anyone. You prosecute them. Mexico's new president, elected just this summer, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador actually came to power on an anti-corruption platform. Leon moderated one of his presidential debates. Almost every question I asked or, or any journalist asked of López Obrador during the campaign, he would, he would go back to corruption. He would say that this or that problem would finally end, would finally stop when he came to power and corruption ended magically. So it became not only his theme, but his obsession. The problem is that uh, corruption, like most problems, or I would say all problems, every problem in a country, is, is not subject to magic. It, it doesn't end by decree. So I think the challenge for López Obrador, after what we've heard in the, in the, in the Guzmán trial, but, uh, but even, even if you, take a, if you put, put the trial aside, is to build a country where the rule of law is, is the priority. And uh, he hasn't shown, in the first couple of months, he hasn't shown that disposition. We'll see how, how it evolves. But Mexico has to painstakingly build its institutions to prevent other figures like El Chapo taking hold of the country's municipalities, the country's mayors, the country's local police forces, the state governors, and maybe uh, even higher than that in, in, the, in the hierarchy of, of Mexican power. Leon told me one last thing about a story he thought the American media was missing in all the breathless coverage of Guzman's trial. He said that a figure like Joaquin Guzman, he couldn't exist without the United States. Mexico has its challenges, but also because the United States is what it is. It has an incredible, brutal appetite for drugs. And it has also provided, for the longest time, guns, thousands of guns to men like Guzman. So if you have a country like the United States that has this voracious appetite for drugs and that provides guns to uh, criminal organizations in Mexico and elsewhere, 
and you have a country like Mexico that, that still has to build its institutions and its rule of law, the, the, the mix is not the right one. Uh, let me put it that way. I mean, it sounds like what you're saying is like, well, we're hearing about drugs and women coming across the border. We're not hearing about the guns going the other way. Of, of, of course not. <laughs> of course not, right? Leon, thank you so much. Adios, gracias. All right, that's the show. What Next is hosted by me, Mary Harris. Our supervising producer is Mary Wilson. Our senior producer is Jason DeLeon. And our assistant producer is Anna Martin. Shout out to all our new listeners from Stitcher. You guys picked up What Next is a featured show. Thank you. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at Mary's Desk. Talk to you Friday. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Dahlia Lithwick, and I'm host of Amicus. Slate's podcast about the law and the U.S. Supreme Court. We are shifting into high gear, coming at you weekly with the context you need to understand the rapidly changing legal landscape. The many trials of Donald J. Trump, judicial ethics, arguments and opinions at SCOTUS. We are tackling the big legal news with clarity and insight every single week. New Amicus episodes every Saturday, wherever you listen.